A new government is still to be formed, but councils around the country are urgently wanting direction on what will happen with the new policy on water infrastructure. Wellington Water estimates it would take a billion dollars a year for the next 10 years to fully deal with its beleaguered water infrastructure. The former Labour government had planned for $140 to $180 billion worth of spending on three waters, that's drinking, storm and wastewater, infrastructure renewal over the next three decades. The funds would have been raised by borrowing, done by 10 new water entities taking control of council infrastructure around the country. But the parties now negotiating a coalition deal to become the government have pledged to scrap that. National's plan is for councils to form their own entities among themselves to raise funds for the work. It remains one of the most challenging components of many councils' financial planning. Tonya Haskell is the acting chief executive of Wellington Water, the company owned by six councils in the wider Wellington region, and she's our guest first. Good morning to you. Tonight, quite Catherine. So just how much is the bill for properly fixing the Wellington region's water infrastructure? Well, as part of our preparation for water reform, we were asked to provide a budget based if, without looking at whether it was deliverable and if money was no object, what would be the funding required in order to um, provide the region with the upgrades and renewals it needs in its water infrastructure. And that figure is a billion dollars a year for the next 10 years. That's in a perfect world, unconstrained costings. What is a more realistic figure or perhaps the minimum figure to get things good enough? Well, we've been working hard over the last five years in Wellington Water to um, increase our capacity to deliver and we've been building our capital programme by 30 to 40% a year. So this year we're aiming for 287 million and ideally that would that would increase again every year by 30 to 40% until we reach the billion dollar mark in around year six. Okay, so that shaves off uh, a proportion of that $10. Brings it back to about yeah. $6 billion, something like that. Okay. You were on record saying the council can't fund that, certainly the $10 billion figure, and you doubt a new water entity could either. What will it take well, that, that's the great question. We, we're funded by six councils now, and we are heading into their long-term planning process. And the indications that we're getting, and we're, and we're seeing it, and you know, media is reporting it for each of the councils, they cannot afford the work that they need to do on their own infrastructure, as well as funding water. So what water reform under the, the previous government, or the, the model that it was approaching, was to separate the water organisations from the councils... Balance sheet, sheet separation. Balance sheet Their separation. funding will not sit on the council's Correct. books. That's right. Carry on. But they won't be council-owned entities under that model. They would be individual entities and would be able to borrow money based on the value of their assets without the constraint of the local government legislation that currently gives our client councils, it maximises how much they're allowed to borrow on their assets. Even if they had an entity that was off-book? That's right. So a council-owned so organisation still has to comply with those same rules. The new water entities that Labor had proposed, would they be exempt from that because they are, they've taken over the council's assets but they're not subject to the Local Government Act? Would that that's, have been, that's, that's, that would have been right. out? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So where does this unfunded need sit with respect to the council's long-term plans happening at the moment? Is it not even on the box? Is it just known about like a bogey sitting out there? Well, pretty much. Pretty much. We, we, um, we've given our councils both the unconstrained number. We've also given them the number that we could deliver for them. Which is? 
oh, you know, I can't tell the you off the top of my head. Yeah, you know, and divide it up amongst our six owner yeah. councils. Um, and then we're working with them now to prioritise so that what is affordable has got the, you know, it's the most important things for them. Yeah, but in their long-term plans, what actually needs to be done to replace those pipes, it's, it's, not, in the, it's not in the funding, it's not in the budget, it's not anywhere. It's just known. That's right. It, it won't turn up in the budgets okay. if it's not affordable. And can we talk about that? Because Wellington is a fairly extreme example. Um, at the moment, your people are spending a lot of time running around just patching leaks, fixing leaks. What's happening when it's coming to actually replacing these old pipes? Did you say $287 million a year is going on that, on actually replacing the pipes? Is any of that happening? Yep, so um, I can't give you the exact figure, but that $287 million is divided up between um, big new infrastructure projects. Like we're replacing some bulk pipelines out in Kaitoki and on the Silverstream Pipe Bridge. Uh, we've got major projects going on um, improving the wastewater treatment plants, but there is around, and I may have this wrong, but I believe it's around 90 to 100 million across the region is on renewing or replacing the Three Waters Pipes. So network. actually replacing pipes like what's actually, happening in Taranaki yeah, Street in Wellington right, right, right yes, now. Absolutely. 900 to... So 90 to 100. 90 to 100 million. It's, a, it's yep. a pittance of the scale of what needs to be spent. Yes. But that overall, that billion dollar figure, remember, isn't just about replacing pipes either. We need major upgrades to um, our wastewater treatment plants in the wider upper, or our drinking water plants over there need additional funding. Um, there are upgrades to our outfall pipes needed in both in Karori and for um, Seaview, and they are massive. Um, they are massive infrastructure projects. Where are that things are. at now? In the work going towards the transition under the previous government's plan from Wellington Water to a new entity, has that got very far in practice? Um, the, for us, which is Entity G, which is the made up of Kapiti, the Wellington Metropolitan Councils and the Wairarapa Councils, we had a, there was a program underway to stand us up with a target date of around October next year. But as things stand now, Wellington Waters kept doing what it's doing. Yeah, we need to do. We, you know, the, this the, is just yeah. again all theoretical on the side. A lot of money. Yep. I think yep. three billion's gone into this yes. establishment so That's far. Right. But anyway, yep. um, would have been handy to have that for the pipes. Um, Nationally, I think that's the figure. But but as things stand, no transitions happened. So what is it that you and other councils need to know as soon as possible from an incoming government? Yes, well, you've had, what do we need to know? And for our people that work really hard on this stuff, it's important that we know something soon. Um, you know, we, we drive our people along saying, Your, the work you do today will be needed tomorrow in whatever format. So, so that's something that we're really keen to understand soon so that we've got a bit of certainty for our people. Um, and then we are looking, we need to start to work towards a model. Um, we're not clear what National Party's policy is. We what's know your that, understanding yeah. of it? Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah, no, but what's right. your understanding of it from what has been said publicly? So the only thing we've been able to glean is that there's a preference towards a council-controlled Organisation, which is called a CCO. So a council, like like Auckland Water, as would be an example of yes, that. Yes, Watercare, Watercare, Watercare Auckland. So 
your understanding is instead of having these now 10 independent entities that take the assets off the councils, the councils would co-own a company and what? Yes, so all the water services would be drawn into that company. So we would join Kapiti's Water um, Services Group and the Musserton and Carterton councils would also join in. So it would become a new entity. But we remain a council controlled entity so and you get that you'd have balance sheet separation. Balance sheet separa- Do you'd have balance sheet separation. Yep. The councils wouldn't have the funds for this on their books, but a company they, they owned would. And yes. are you saying that what that company could borrow will be limited by the Local Government Act? Correct. How, to what extent? I, I don't know the details of that, sorry, Catherine. Okay, I interrupted you. You said you need a model. Carry on. So, so yes, so what we're looking for from, from the new government is, is what they want it to look like so we can start working towards that. Because the the more certainty we've got, as I've said, it's good for our people, it's good for the water, it enables our, our client councils who are currently working out their long-term plans, how much they invest and how long they invest for, and what signals will they give to the new entity about you know what they want the region to invest in in water. Okay, stay with us, Tonya, really appreciate it. Uh, also with us this morning is... The Mayor of New Plymouth, Neil Holdham, who uh, is also, I understand, the Provincial Chair of Local Government New Zealand. Uh, Neil, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Morena. Okay. Uh, Wellington Water has some significant needs compared to other councils nationally. Different councils are in different situations, but what all of them are looking for is some answers from the change of government. What's your understanding of National's policy to replace what was Three Waters? Um, look, the understanding of the policy, is, as, as Tonya mentioned, look, there's a preference for council-controlled organisations and, and realistically a promise to have discussions with council, um, you know, potentially bespoke arrangements. And I think, you know, the point that that's well made is essentially um, they haven't been clear they haven't allocated um, the funding um, Who's in, they? You know, in the plans, um, so we don't know what what you know potentially how much cash they've got available to help solve the problem. Who's so, they? Are you referring to the incoming government? Yes, the okay, incoming government. You, what you. they've said is they're going to remove the legislation within a hundred days, and and what you know I think it's incumbent upon us as a sector to spell out, um, you know, the, the the clear things that we need to resolve the issues, and they're very real and very material issues for the whole country. Okay. Straight off the bat, straight off the bat, if it were to be council-owned companies as a model, can they borrow enough, Neil, for the scale of what's going to happen? No. Um, and, look, if you want to have a look at examples... Um, there, there are there are districts and cities all across New Zealand that have got these these liabilities in terms of assets that need to be replaced, as well as grown to accommodate a million new Kiwis over the next decade, uh, that they simply can't fund. And I think so. If if we say the coalition, the incoming coalition, is comfortable with these council-controlled organisations, the first step to actually you know, sketching out a model that will work will be the government committing 
to a crown guarantee, much as the way um, parents sometimes guarantee adult children. Um, <laughs> that often ends well. <laughs> yep. But and, you were saying well, they won't but, be able to raise the funds on the on the market, on the financial markets, without that guarantee. Are you, is that what you're saying? Um, some will and some won't, but a crown guarantee will lower the cost of borrowing. And remember, we're trying to do this efficiently. The government's got a double A plus credit rating, which means that they can borrow money um, as cheaply as it is available to be borrowed in New Zealand. And so, look, I'm in a position, our council also has a double A plus rating. We're not fiscally constrained, but many councils are. So if we want to raise this money at, at the most competitive rates, the, the, the Crown does need to guarantee um, these companies. Does that and mean really, it's on the Crown's about, books as a, as a, as well, a liability? Yes, it is. Okay, well, it that's going to get interesting, isn't it? It, it will. And look, they're the, the previous government wouldn't do it. But, the, you know, the argument is actually that um, the debt that, is, that they're guaranteeing is guaranteed by the mortgages and the properties of every single water consumer in the country. If you don't, if you don't pay your water bill it go, and it's run through the council, um, it goes up against your property title. So the, the chances of these organisations defaulting is extremely low. No, it, because it, it, it's more there. the endless political arguments we have about the size of borrowing, etc. But let's not go down that route. Can you yes. just explain some other things about the model? Will smaller entities be able to find a home here? Will entities that have got really big liabilities be able to find a home here if they are, if this is not required and organised by the government? Will there be orphans in this model? Yes, there absolutely will. And I think this is the issue. If, look, if you think about um, if this was a, a, a business transaction, um, the 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 entities or the, the councils that will be drawn together are the large financially viable ones. And, and actually with strong balance sheets and then and they will draw together and come up with viable water entities and you've got water care um and and you know there are there are a few others around the country you know they've got the scale to make this work the ones that they won't be wanting to merge with are small rural schemes with a huge amount of money that needs to be invested and again government's going to have to come up with a plan to either make those um those smaller ones orphans more attractive by by grossing them up, putting some money into them to make them more attractive to merge, um, or some other mechanism. And and the reality is they've stepped back from the ten entity model. Um, so the solution has has got to be something that that there will be cross subsidies, but they need to offset that amount of cross subsidy, or otherwise communities are going to say, if I live in council area A, why should I pay fifty percent more? For, for council area B where they haven't invested. Well, that's going to happen everywhere. That's has... going to happen potentially with Wellington. I don't know what Kapiti's situation is, but it's probably not hungry for, for um, uh, the other council's liabilities. National have kept the backstop that if the councils themselves don't sort this out, it can legislate. Is that quite likely to end up happening, Neil, if there's not going to be a bunch of orphans and a bunch of scrapping over who's going with who, who's on whose team and who's left with nobody? Look, they absolutely will have to legislate. And, you know, what they really need to do now is commit to what we call information disclosure, force the companies to understand their assets because many of these councils actually don't know how bad it is because they don't actually have the inspection data. 
get them to do that work and disclose it so we can actually get a view of the big picture and then bring in economic regulation, which will actually you know, set the prices, take it out of political control, which has been the reason why the funding hasn't gone in in the past, and, and then provide a mechanism to enable these mergers and encourage them. And, and one of them is to actually look at the existing transition unit. The government spent, the outgoing government spent three billion on this. Um, they've done some good work in developing shared standards for infrastructure that councils are crying out for. They're, they're, they've committed to funding a shared information system. So everybody's working on the same IT platform and they've done some good work in the development of good HR systems. That stuff should be retained and used to incentivise councils to start these mergers. When do councils need clear and full instruction from the government? Because we were talking about these long-term plans and they matter. Are some actually struggling to put them together at the moment? Look, right now, so I was speaking uh, to somebody from Auckland City. Um, Auckland is prohibited from including water in their 10-year plan, which they're developing right now because the entity, you know, Auckland, the Auckland entity was due to kick off next year. Um, most other councils um, under current New Zealand law are allowed to include the first couple of years of of water funding in their long-term plans, but from year three to eight, so out to 2034, they're not allowed to put anything in. So, um, you know, what, what I'd propose is a sort of three phases of legislation. Do something before Christmas that allows councils to do their planning or get an extension on their long-term plans if that suits them for a year so that we can tidy up the planning piece. Um, phase two is actually give us the substance of the regulation, uh, you know, information disclosure, economic regulation, an answer to the Crown Guarantee and an answer to the orphans, how they're going to address that in terms of, and it will cost the government money. And then, and then the third phase is really, and this is going to be really important, is the tidy up legislation. The current rules and regulations coming out of Wellington are driving up the cost. You know, you've talked about 140 to 160 billion. Um, as a nation, we have to ask ourselves, can we afford to, to be investing in this kind of utopian view that regulators in terms of water quality, safety and the environment have 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 set through regulation. Yep. Some protozoan barriers in about 21 councils around the country would come in handy as a starting point, though, wouldn't that, they? That, that, look, that's fine. Um, but I think what, you know, as in a nutshell, we haven't done the cost-benefit analysis on things like saying no new outfalls to the ocean, right? So what, what that means is some councils now have to buy really good farmland retire it from farm use, uh, farm use and and discharge to land. So you take that land out of production. The costs go okay. astronomical. Okay. I've got one more question for you before we bring in our, our, our final guest just, uh, just quickly. The controversial co-governance component of Labor's Three Waters was about trying to avoid, avoid a treaty claim or perhaps uh, more, an even more complicated, a common law claim over fresh water. There has never been a resolution of the nature and extent of Māori interests in freshwater. There has been in fisheries, there has been in land, there has been in foreshore and seaboard. It's never been done with freshwater. Now, how will that unresolved issue be dealt with and how should it be dealt with, with reforms of the scale pending? Yeah, and look, look, I think that there there need to be... That mana whenua has a really important role to play in this. And I think that if the government wants to create incentives for, for really good 
partnership and the development of water asset management plans, they should reward companies um, that can prove that they're really engaging and taking Manafonova values into the development of their three waters networks. So that can be a, a more streamlined um, regulatory system that reflects, well, actually, if you're working with mana whenua, we, we can, because regulation costs money um, and the, the regulated businesses have to pay for the cost of being regulated. So those companies that can show that they're hand on heart working really well with mana whenua, and it may be inclusion in the boards of mana whenua representation, but also um, in, inclusion of mana whenua values in the way they develop the assets. Um, you can incentivize that through the regulatory regime to get the, the you know to encourage the companies to uh, behave better and work and take those yep. manafenua values into their model. Heck of a lot you need out of an incoming government very quickly by the sounds of it, Neil. Um, Alex Walker is our third guest, Central Hawke's Bay Mayor. Uh, she's also local government, New Zealand's rural chair. Uh, Alex, we've had a long discussion. Um, please comment if you if there's anything you particularly want to pick up on. And, but give us the perspective of these smaller rural regions under a new policy. Are some of them at risk of becoming what we described uh, the orphans? Or are some of, the, some of them the ones saying, actually, we've kept right up with our maintenance and we don't want anyone else's liability? Morning. Uh, kia ora, good morning. Um, look, I think there is uh, a real mixture of views right across the country about whether councils are up to where they need to be up to or not. But what I do know across our rural councils is that there are some um, that are coping okay, but actually many of them um, are not talking about the big um, billion dollars a year or whatever it is that Wellington's talking about. What rural councils are talking about is what is the back pocket impact on their own ratepayers right now. So you take a small community like mine, population 15,000 covering a huge rural area, to be connected to water services in our community at the moment is $2,500 before you've paid any rates for a park or a pool or a road. And uh, so that's where the urgency is coming from, from our rural councils, is that they're grappling uh, very much with how they have the right conversations with their community about what step to take next in the next few months and going into next year's budget about what to do next. And so that's where the clarity required on process with the incoming government is so important. The, the clarity on process, what, what is it specifically that your councils in particular need and need as quickly as possible? So um, similar to what Neil has said, I think there's some very urgent um, legislative relief around the assumptions that we take into our long-term planning for next year. Um, but actually, we also need to know um, some timelines about how we're actually going to roll out some um, engagement from the incoming government around the regions. Uh, how quickly are we going to be able to have those pragmatic conversations about what, what each region needs? Um, and how quickly we're going to be able to act on that. Um, everybody is ready to have a conversation. We just need to know when so that we can um, work that into how we then do our planning. I thank all of you for your contributions this morning. That's Alex Walker. Thanks also to Neil Holdham and Tonya Haskell.